Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tasting Studio, I'm Bull Hagen. I'm Vicar. Welcome to the show. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Uh, Berg is still relaxing somewhere off location. So remote, probably on a beach somewhere drinking uh, drinking some gin. Uh, no, I don't doubt he's on a beach somewhere. But he's relaxing. Probably having some gin. He likes his leisure, that Berg, doesn't he? He does. So, uh, it's a, so it's a Thursday morning. We're conjuring up some energy for the show. <laughs> um, Peter, what's, do you have any updates on the t-shirt situation? Uh, hopefully... Next week, we can talk about t-shirts. I have some samplers here. We were looking through them. And uh, I'm going to try and have that finalized for next week's episode. Okay. All right. So, so we have stay so tuned. people can order them for Christmas. Maybe. Hopefully. So, yeah, we're working on that. So maybe we need some samples to wear and look at. Do you have any, like, uh, stringers? Stringers? <laughs> yeah. The workout shirts? You know? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I think I'm coming back this weekend, so I can bring the ones that I have. You guys can take a look at them. Okay. Right. So, uh, um, yeah, what do you got to, to drink there? You grabbed something out of the Toxin Tastings refrigerator? Yep, I grabbed the uh, unsweetened black tea. The Pure Leaf. That's good stuff. Yep. I've got uh, a lime Italian sparkling water. What do you got, Pete? Um, as always, I've got my sneak energy. Your sneak energy. You know what? I noticed, uh, so one of the t-shirt designs references um, a segment we hadn't done yet with Vicar, right? Um, and that is the uh, interviews we've been, we had done with Chris Christian. That's, yeah, of course. Do you, do you still have that original interview, perchance? I mean, yeah. I had to listen to him so I could get the right info to put on the sign. I didn't understand the T-shirt because so I, I was wondering one. if we could play that original interview for Vicar to catch him up speed on the podcast. Do it. It's from the episode "Poor Miserable Sinner" uh, from October twenty-fifth. All right, seek to thirty-six thirty. Right. So, Vicar, um, you're wondering about the 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 one T-shirt example, right? Right. So you don't know. You don't know who Chris Christian is, Pastor Chris Christians. Nope. Uh, someone I kind of met, I uh, heard about, and I was just curious. He was uh, someone who was, is the pastor, at least was the pastor. I'm not sure. I haven't heard from him lately. Of the largest growing church in Oklahoma. Okay. And I was kind of curious, what is this guy doing that he has the largest church in Oklahoma? Right? Right. So guess what I did? I interviewed him. So, thing. Uh, but... Uh, but uh, I want to interview someone here. Uh, we all want our congregations to grow, right? Yep. Okay. And uh, um, I heard of a pastor who, uh, uh, a very successful congregation, by what many would say, his uh, congregation has tripled in size in the last 10 years. Oh, wow. I heard about this. And... Uh, I thought I would interview see if we get any insight. So I got the first part of the interview that we're going to to play tonight. I just maybe thought maybe you'd have some reaction to it, okay? All right. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and play that interview. Um, so welcome. I am talking uh, to Pastor uh, Chris Christian, who is pastor at Just Him Christian Church, in Port Port uh, Berlin, Oklahoma. Uh, it's good to have you with us today. It's uh, good to be here. So uh, you are the pastor of one of the fastest growing churches uh, at Portland, uh, Oklahoma. There in Central Oklahoma. So so uh, tell me about uh, about your story and how how this is working out. Well, it's just been amazing. It's it's been awesome. God is doing wonderful things. We've touched a lot of hearts to him be the glory. We've changed a lot of lives to him be the glory. In the last 10 years to him be the glory, we have 
tripled in size uh, over the last 10 years. Oh, okay. So what would you say is the, the guiding principle that's, that's helped you grow like this? Well, yes, there, there, there is. Uh, the, the principle is this. Um, it's not about theology. It's, it's just about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Well, well, what do you mean by that? Well, a few years ago, back when I was a sales associate for Payless Shoes, the store closed, and I would say I hit rock bottom. I remember getting into my Reliant K car, and I saw a beautiful Mercedes there in the parking lot. And uh, <laughs> the bumper sticker said, Honk if you love Jesus. And, well, if my horn had worked at the time, I would have honked, but it didn't. But uh, to God be the glory, um, the thought of just the name Jesus for me was just transformative. It stuck with me. And it was laid on my heart that the same name could transfer, transform others. Um, I had really, at the time, no training in theology, and I still don't. But I knew that there were others like me who were tired of theology. It seems kind of angry or confusing. It gets in the real way, the way of real ministry. And uh, I just wanted to give people Jesus. Okay. So, uh, uh, is that that's kind of where you started then? Is that how you started? Well, yes, we kind of had um, um, humble beginnings. Uh, every Sunday morning at uh, at the time of 10.43, at exit uh, 258 here in Portland, Port Berlin, Oklahoma, uh, there at the rest area, uh, we found a home. It was clean. It had nice restrooms. Um, right on the highway, easy to find. And, uh, and that's where I wanted to begin inviting people to rest with Jesus. Oh, Interesting. So, is that how you started off? Yes, it started off with me and my mother and a man named Milton who happened to be stopping by on his way to drop off some feed at Wichita um, at that very time, to him be the glory. Um, so, you said you've tripled in size over the last 10 years? Yes, we um, just celebrated our 10th anniversary, to him be the glory, and we've tripled in size. Well, if I'm doing my math right, um, that's nine. To him be the glory. You know, just when I was about to give up, uh, I remember shaking my fist and saying to God, God, you've, you've just given me too much. Uh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, Milton at that time had gotten a new truck route, so we stopped seeing him. Um, and Sunday mornings became the day that they were waxing the floors, and, uh, and so it was getting noisy. But then a miracle happened, to him be the glory. Oh, it did? What happened? Well, um, my mother remarried, and uh, Sawyer and his five children also became a part of the ministry. Oh, so what you're saying is not only did you triple your size, your children's ministry grew exponentially. I, uh, I like the way you think, Bullhagen. Well... We will continue this discussion next time, and, and what I really want to talk about is I have more questions about your guiding principle. Uh, it's not about theology, it's just about Jesus, because theology is actually the study of God's Word, of God, literally. The study of God, and Jesus is God. So how can you have Jesus without theology? Um, Bullhagen, I see what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. Well, we'll get into that next time. Uh, uh, next time, as we continue our, our, uh, our conversation with Pastor Chris Christian, the pastor of Just Him Church there at Exit 258 in Port Berlin, Oklahoma. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. So, <clears throat> so you were wondering about who this Pastor Chris Christian was. Well, well, now you know. What, you have any reactions to that, Vicar? To him be the glory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you want to listen that, to both or just the one? Well, one is the next one will be uh, Thanksgiving, right? So we can do the ne- one next one, the following episode, maybe. Because sure. it was just him in, Chur- in Turkey was our okay. promotion. <laughs> I like how his children's ministry grew <laughs> exponentially. Yep. So, yeah. like Bullhagen said, we're thinking about putting that on a shirt, uh, nice uh, Chris Christian shirt. So uh, look out for that. Thank you for filling me in, guys. Does that make sense? Yep. Sense now? Yep.
Okay. Now I understand the T-shirt. Hey, we should talk about the text. Okay. <laughs> this is kind of exciting. Uh, Vicar and I are both preaching the same text um, because you're actually preaching for Berg on Sunday right. and, and, and at his church. So uh, uh, you will be uh, nervously on your own. That's right. Knees shaking. Hands sweating, all that. I mean, do you feel what is it? I'm, what is it going to be like Mom's for you? Spaghetti. <laughs> what is it going to be like for you standing in the pulpit where Berg stands? Explain it, that to me. It's going to be amazing. I'm not going to lie, but I, I have done that before with chapel, so I kind of had a dry run of this already. But. Okay. All right. I mean, this is going to be on your conscience. Like you're not worthy. Well, it'll be on my resume too. <laughs> <laughs> your resume. <laughs> Pastors don't have resumes. Right. <laughs> the Travis Berg. <laughs> now, Chris, Chris Christian has a resume. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but anyways, so the text is, Vicar? For Trinity 24, the text is Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. And this is one where, where there's two miracles. Uh, a ruler comes to Jesus, and he with his daughter who had just died, and Jesus raises the ruler's daughter. But there's also the, the woman who has been sick with a hemorrhage, bleeding for 12 years, and she pulls on his cloak, and he heals her too. And, and so uh, it's kind of interesting because we're both preaching it, and I, we're going to take a little bit different angles, okay? Would you like to explain kind of your angle? Because your sermon's all done. Mine's still in process. Okay. Because... Uh, vicars have to get there done s- sooner than a pastor does. <laughs> right. Mine needs more review. <laughs> so the first thing I want to do is uh, deal with those two issues of dying and death, because it's something everybody can relate to and will have to. Because in, in the text, you have right. someone who has died, yep, and then you also have someone basically in the process of dying. That's right. You can't bleed for 12 years and not be dying or losing life. So I first want to relate to that concept of somebody losing a loved one, especially a child. We've, we've met with some people lately uh, who had to bury their children, you know, some elderly mm-hmm. people, and they don't understand why is this um, happening. It's not supposed to happen that way. And then surely young parents who lose children are thinking the same thing. And that's something um, that I personally can relate to. Um, I've told you this before, mm-hmm. but uh, we lost an infant, and um, actually two. And so this one I can relate to quite a bit. So first I talk about how the the thought of dying is sometimes a little scarier than even death itself. There's that whole process of dying, mm-hmm. making uh, arrangements and picturing your loved ones alone. Sometimes there's suffering involved. And... Uh, Next, I kind of relate it to, uh, from the older person's perspective too, um, losing mobility, things like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a comfortable process. But then the story is uh, broken up a little bit while Jesus is on the way to to heal this girl. So I have this father approaching him. He has that compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's why, because this father's going through all these emotions I was just talking about. And then there's an interruption, and that girl, the lady, pulls on his cloak, and and the narrative goes to um, Jesus dealing with her. And he not only um, heals her, but Luke adds that he tells her to go in peace. So I'm talking, he calls her daughter, even though she's, um, you know, a a woman. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about that peace a little bit that, that only Jesus gives, that the world doesn't give. Mm-hmm. And that by calling her daughter, he's telling her she's loved. She's in the family of God. She's God's child. And that we get that same uh, assurance in baptism. Mm-hmm. We become children of God. So th- then it goes back in the narrative to uh, going back to the father with his daughter who's dead. And, and so I kind of head back that way too and talk about how there's people crying around. Uh, the funeral arrangements have been made. There's music. There's wailing. Uh, a, a scene that's familiar to you. Right. Right. Because fim- funerals, that's, that's what we see. 
but Jesus tells tells the people to, you know, get out and make room. She's only sleeping, and they mock him. And that takes us right to thinking about how Jesus would later be mocked on the cross too, right? From another crowd, right? Which I I mean, I mean, you know, if you're in a funeral situation, you know. It's not a good time to make jokes necessarily, right? And maybe that's kind of what they were thinking, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a insensitive in their minds, perhaps. Yeah, and I think historically they also hired professional mourners. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get into that in the sermon, but it, it did happen, and that would would help bring that that whole feeling of mourning to to a funeral. People would all get involved in that. But Jesus actually kicks them out. The the Greek verb used is from ekbalo, so he cast them out. They were cast out. Mm-hmm. So kind of violently even. he get them out of here. So the miracle, this miracle of Jesus was only for the faithful to see. Okay. So, I mean, lastly, I, I tie that into how on the last day, we're also going to be raised up. Like that girl was. Right. So so question that people might have, Vicar, with a text like this is, okay, so it's about how about how Jesus had compassion, how he healed them, how he understood the situation. But one question that people will have when they hear te- texts like this is, well, then how come, you know, you mentioned that you went through some loss. Mm-hmm. How come, you know, in the same way God just doesn't heal today like he did back then? When we want, when we need him to, and that that part I'm addressing, you know, we just have to come out and say, sometimes people die, sometimes people get sick, and the reason Jesus came on earth to show these miracles was to show that the the true healing is the greater miracle that's going to come on the last day. So he defeated death for us, but he had to show that. So that those were miracles that were more of a foreshadowing right. of, what, of the true healing that we need. Yes. Okay. And what angle are you thinking so far? Uh, right now I'm thinking of, of talking more specifically about faith in a way we don't always talk about with Luth- as Lutherans. We kind of shy away from a little bit, I think, the power of faith because it sounds okay. to uh, more something that uh, Chris Christian would... <laughs> Would do. <laughs> right. But it is true. Um, if faith is a gift of God, which it is, and if the power is from him, as Christ Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, mm-hmm. faith will come with power. And faith will have a powerful effect on the one who has it. So you look at the text, for example. Um the power is not seen in our human strength, for sure. This woman would say she came weak with no other options. Other accounts talk about how she had tried all sorts of other doctors. She spent all that she had to try and fix this. And yet faith drove her to fight through the crowds, to get close to Jesus. Faith got her to the fact, if only I can just touch the hem of his garment. Right. And in... And in or in the case of the rich man, how, how to think of all the obstacles that he went through. He left his synagogue. Yeah. He, le- he left his sick daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And, and begged Jesus to come and, and all those things. So, and, and so in both cases, Jesus commends them for their faith. Now, faith was not an action, but faith is what was very powerful and that kind of faith can only come from God. And if that faith only comes from God, we learn in the Catechism as well that the faith from God comes by the power of the Holy Spirit who creates, sustains that faith. Or as we say in, in the, the Catechism, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies, right. and keeps us in the one true faith. And so when we talk about faith in that way, especially from the side of that faith is a gift of God from God, it does have a powerful effect on the believer and how that works out in the li- their life and the life of the church. For example, you look at how faith changed the disciples from Peter being afraid 
uh, denying Jesus to being the one who says this Jesus to the to the Jews, this Jesus you killed, but God raised him up. Right. How the faith in Christ um, changed everything. How it gave him courage to stand firm in all those things. And and so this to me in my preaching is is kind of more of a call to faith in that setting, and and uh, a call to hear God's word again, uh, to desire in your prayer. Give me, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because that God-given faith, which God gives you, that He, which he conquers the sin, death, and hell, and gives you the gift of everlasting life, is going to have a powerful effect in how you see the world, how you see what's going on right now, and all those things. And so we don't necessarily always talk about faith that way, especially in Lutheran circles, but nonetheless, it is biblical. You know, um, right. and uh, and uh, to create a desire um, for faith, to pray to the Holy Spirit for renewed faith, because that that is something that uh, um, when you look, we're going to talk about the first commandment here a little bit. Okay, mm-hmm. that really is when we talk about the first commandment. The first commandment is a commandment of faith. Fear, love, and trust in God. And um, and you think the only way you could actually do that is in faith. The only way you can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we are obviously imperfect in it, right? But, but nonetheless, um, faith is a very powerful thing. I mean, you look at scriptures and all the great heroes of faith. And, oh, and, right, Hebrews 11 and everything. Right. Right. By faith, they did this. By faith, by faith, by faith. Mm-hmm. And then that shows, yes, faith has a power in it. It is a very powerful thing. And it's so powerful that it can only come from Christ. We see this all the time. Um, where um, You've seen this even in your short time as, as a vicar of how unafraid people are of death. Right. And they face some horrific experiences in faith with, with, uh, um, with graciousness. Um, and so I think that, that, that's kind of what I, it's, it's a completely different direction that you're going. And, and when I talk about, it's interesting, the strength of faith. It's not saying that those people were strong. Those people were very weak and they recognized their own weakness. But the faith had a very powerful effect. That God-given faith that they had had a very powerful effect on how they sought after Jesus, how they fought through so many obstacles, how they trusted in him, and all those things. Um, and to me, that's that's kind of what the angle I'm going for in my sermon is talking about faith in that way. Does that make... Do you, when I talk about that, you don't always hear that as much in Lutheran circles. Does, does that... Yeah. You, would you agree with that? Yeah, that resonates. It it's hard because there's such a fine line too between uh like faith and work. And sometimes we're afraid to communicate that because we don't know how to say it very clearly. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. Yeah. I mean it doesn't work. It, you notice how I say how faith was powerful in leading them to do those things. Right. That that the like the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Right. So so when we, when we do that, we are separating faith from work. Mm-hmm. The, wor- the, the fighting through to find Jesus, you know, that was a result of the faith. And, and then we, we emphasize this when we emphasize infant baptism. We emphasize that infant infants can and do have faith. So, interestingly, the collect for the day... Um, brings up this, uh, that we're asking God's help for the faithful people to uh, bring forth the fruit of good works. So mm-hmm. that, that language is in there, um, d- talking about how uh, faith bears fruit right, in one's life. Right. It drives them to do things. I guess one thing I forgot to mention, too, that I'm really, it's in my theme, is that when for the b- beloved Christian, the faithful, death is a, can be looked at as a sleep in Christ. 
and mm-hmm. to be raised again to to everlasting life. So that that's one way to that Christians can look at death that nobody else can. So we can have that peace and comfort in faith. Right. So um, I've got a little top 12 list um, that kind of goes along with this. And that is a, a top 12 list of how some things that you can do to ask yourself, um, do I have another God? What in, And a better way is, what is the gods my heart seeketh after? Right? So what should Peter do, Vicar? Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. All right. He's almost there. I think he's like 95% of the way there now. He's like really close. Right? Yeah. He's getting there. Maybe next time we record on an evening. I I must admit, Vicar and I have this this funny thing. We we go and and teach someone uh, uh, the catechism, and uh, she really likes it. And Vicar and I go, and... uh, um, both I and she just have fun making fun of Vicar, and it's I'm the whipping boy, right? So when I use an example of Sid, I'll say let's let's say Vicar, you know, steals a candy bar from the the gas station, and she'll say, Vicar, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, yeah. So Vicar, you actually do a good job with that because you know it actually helps her learn. So yep. Object lesson. <laughs> so, what so is the top um, 12 again? The top 12 is the top 12 questions that you can ask yourself to help you evaluate the gods in your life. Does that make sense? Yep. Uh, because I, the reason I, I, another reason why I do this is it seems like this is really becoming obvious right now. This is really becoming obvious. Um, the last two years, we are really seeing in full colors who our gods really are. Where people trust, yeah. Right. Kind of like um, how how the world seems to hinge on, on a governor's race in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or how upset people get with schools, and rightly so where sometimes your school could be your God. Or the fact that science has become a God. I mean, we use language like trust the science, follow the science. Fear the virus. Right. So these are some questions that I have that for the listener to kind of, because that's one thing a pastor does, okay? We talk about private confession and absolution. It's not just, okay, you confess your sins and I forgive you. That's the main thing of it. Right. But there's times where we have a few questions to tease it out a little bit. You know, make sure, okay, is that everything? Mm-hmm. Have you really dealt with this? Why? Because we want the gospel to be, you know, it's not just, I, this is what I feel bad about. We do actually do a little teasing that out so we can get at the very heart of the, the confession. You know, does it, it would seem that some people might be coming in first, at first glance, they want your help to affirm their feeling or their stance on something. Mm-hmm. But there's a deeper issue at, at heart. Right. Sometimes people might come as, you know, as a way of, in a sense, justifying their actions. Right. You know, and they think that's going to help my conscience. When it's not, what really needs to happen is confession and then absolution mm-hmm. to know that that sin has been forgiven. But, uh, but yeah. And so, so that being said, what are some questions that you can ask yourself? Hmm. Is this my God? Is this becoming my God? And and because ultimately, as we learn in the Catechism, right. Uh, the first commandment is, "You shall have no other gods." Yet you should fear, love, and trust, trust in God. God above all things. Mm-hmm. All right. Number twelve. Where do you look for refuge? Okay, when you are dealt with something, 
Where is your safe place? It's kind of interesting. Do you know what we call um, uh, the building where we worship often? We call it a... Sanctuary? Sanctuary. What, is, what does that word tend to suggest? Well, like a ship in a harbor takes sanctuary from a storm. Mm-hmm. Refuge. It's refuge, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, we, we uh, confess, for example, in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean, say, we'll, we'll use the medical community. It doesn't mean that, that uh, we don't use and, and, and put some trust in doctors and nurses and medicines and all those things. But what it does say is you realize that they are in service of someone greater than themselves. You know, doctors and nurses can only do so much. Medicine can only do so much. Ultimately, it's a God who created us and sustains us. And so, um, and so th- this comes to play sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you how this, this idea might come to play. Um, when a hospital is on lockdown and they say, we can't, you pastor can't come see someone who is sick. That creates an issue mm-hmm. because on the one hand, they do need medical care, but they also need spiritual pay place, everything yeah. in the context of it to say, okay, yeah, I mean, the doctors are doing everything they can, but there's someone in charge of all that. And uh, I think with the, the pandemic, for example, it taught many people, where is your refuge? Where is your safe place? Your safe place is being alone. Your safe place is being away from people. And, and that's a good question then. Where do you look for refuge? Yeah, that, that is a good point. Number 11. Do you find secure, this is number 11, do you find security in your stuff? One of Berg's favorite, he's not here, but one of his favorite words in talking this way is mammon. Mammon. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So what this means is this is kind of like the refuge, but then you you think, okay, all right, do we say things are going well, right? Right. You live a comfortable life. Um, You know, you can go to the grocery store without checking your balance on your credit card, you know, mm-hmm. every time you swipe it, you know, there's gonna be money to get your food. You got a nice house, everything's all set, right? And then you feel uh, secure. Now I am secure. Everything is in order. Jesus actually tells a parable about this, right? Mm-hmm. You remember what parable that is? The rich fool. The rich fool. Like, he... he uh, fills the barn and now he wants to build bigger barns and he thinks to himself now everything is set Mm -hmm. but that's not right because sin has a way of saying okay okay you feel secure you're secure this god that you have surrounded yourself has pleased you you have found salvation in your stuff or even look look what i've done for myself look at how Good, I work for myself. Right, right. So, so finding, do you find your security in your stuff? What about the kind of the inverse of this? When somebody experiences some some tragedy in their life and they start to hoard stuff, mm-hmm. even even meaningless stuff. It's it's like things that shouldn't have any meaning have meaning. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that before, right? Yeah, like those shows about hoarders and oh yeah, I'm, I'm and it's always pain behind it, right? There, you know, uh, there was uh, a gentleman in town uh, who uh, um, was a hoarder, but he came from Romania. He had he had went through real times of of hunger where he didn't have anything, and it just pained him to throw anything away. And with this pandemic, people have misplaced their trust, and their pain has caused them to start. Maybe hoarding other things like toilet paper, yeah. and and everybody's a prepper now. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, I think it's one thing to to make sure you're prepared. Mm-hmm. It's another to say, okay, I am secure in that. Number two, to find security in things like your own learning, 
or your own wisdom or mm. your understanding. What, what, what do you think I mean by that? Well, what that makes me think of is the, the push for education for everybody. And some people define themselves by the degrees they have and the advanced degrees they have. It gives them status. Yeah. So, so I have a, an example of this. All right. Um, you could have all the knowledge of the world. But yet, without faith, that knowledge can be very destructive. Mm -hmm. And if you're secure in your knowledge, by the way, which is something that happens, which is actually anti-science, <laughs> if you really look at it, because, well, you're, you're kind of a, a scientist in your former job, you know? Right. A, a science is never feeling secure in your answers. <laughs> You're always testing it. Quite, yeah, quite the opposite. You you are are always testing the hypotheses, looking for, uh, you know, come to a conclusion from the results that you see, and then until something changes, and you need to test it all over again. Right, and so, you know, uh, I think uh, um, I'm going to get the the Bible talks about uh, trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. And so part of this, too, is how you look at God's Word, how you are humbled in that. And, and so we, we live at a time where everyone thinks they know what's right, and the knowledge is power and all those things. And certainly being informed is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But is that your security? I know the right answers. I mean, you even see this in the church. My security, my security is that uh, when I took confirmation, I got the answers right. Yeah. Where it's a theology of the brain and not of the heart. Mm -hmm. That was what Jesus was countering with the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't he? Bringing, mm -hmm. showing that sin is a heart issue as well, not just an outward action that you can accomplish. Number nine. What is it that demands your attention? That, 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 that's something, right? Or woman, or woman's your attention, right? For, for the female listener. Demands. Oh, you said demands. I thought you said mans. <laughs> oh, Vicar. Are you disappointed as I am, Peter? Bum, 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 bum. I'm just trying to be inclusive. <laughs> what demands your attention? What I mean by demanding your attention is, is there are things in your life that seem to... You give a little space... It wants to take a little more space. It doesn't just want, it wants you in a way. Hmm. So, for example, uh, um, athletics could come, fall into this category. Um, hunting could come in this category. I knew you were going there. <laughs> Weightlifting? <laughs> Weightlifting, sure. Where, where it, it uh, um, and you can think of, you know, just think, think of your own life right now. What is it that seems to always demand in your attention, especially what it, it if it pulls you from, from, from where your attention needs to be, and where you're called, and especially if it pulls you away from hearing God's word. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of like uh, you know that that kind of goes back to the money thing because you know if you're a church that preaches that uh, a prosperity gospel. You know, God isn't, the true God isn't your God, money is, because you're looking God to God only as a way of getting what you want for your heart's desire. But just asking, you know, what is it that really demands not only your attention, but your heart, your will, your desires? Um, I think simply asking that question, you might be able to see some things that are in your life that are trying to become your God. Yeah, things other things you pay homage to. Right. Right. You know, and, and uh, I think we see that. You, you know, everyone's going to have their own answer to these things, mm -hmm. for sure. Number eight. What leads you to sin? <laughs> I mean, that's a simple one. But, but sin at its heart is trusting in something else, trusting in a will that is not God's will. And... Certainly, um, 
if if something that is demanding your attention and something that is leading you or asking you to sin in a way that that uh, is seeking to usurp what faith is in your life, is seeking to override the fear and love and trust you have in God and place it in something else, and it leads you to do things uh, that, that wind up looking at the other commandments in a different way. And I think technology can do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. All sorts of things can do that. But if it, has in, if it is having a del- deleterious effect on, how, on your temptation, on your sin, and it's really pulling at you, demanding your attention, then, the, you know, guess what it's becoming or is? You're God. Number seven. The other uh, number seven, I'm kind of running out on. I should have, Peter, I apologize. I haven't really listed these out. I just numbered them. I just listed them out. I said, uh, I was running out of time. I got about 12 here. So, so you didn't even um, count? You don't even know that you have 12? <laughs> Are you kidding? Like, I understand not numbering them, but you like didn't you didn't count them after you wrote them out and go, you know what? Yep, I've got 12 here. Yes. Yes, yeah, so I guess that one thing, that if it demands your attention, that is a big one for someone like me because I have so little already. <laughs> can you, let's take a break. Stop right now. Can we figure out if you have 12 or not? This is good content. <laughs> can you count to 12 or whatever? Well, I see some there? of them are, see what happens is as I go through the list, I realize that. They kind of melt in together. Ah, so uh, you don't. So have and then I say I'll say one, and then like as I'm talking it out, that's really that other one. This sounds like an excuse to me. So, what what you should do is just just throw in random numbers. <laughs> Number eight, the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. What satisfies your pride? Think about that, Vicar. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? What makes you proud? This is a, a moment of honesty behind this particular collar, behind mm-hmm. this microphone. This is probably one of my biggies. Okay. I have the self-awareness of knowing I like my ego needs to be fed once in a while. <laughs> Am I wrong, Peter? No, not at all. Um, I'll be honest about that. I think I think all guys are wired that way. You know, maybe some gals too. Sometimes the wife just has to has to scratch us behind there saying, "Use your good husband." <laughs> well, I noticed this when employees had to be laid off for a seasonal layoff. That we can we we typically identify ourselves by our career. You know, who we are, our titles, our that's our identity. And when you lose even just a job temporarily, for some that's really hard. They lose their in- identity. Right. So in terms of pride, I mean, we're proud to have an identity, but sometimes we forget our our identity is in Christ. You know, that, that I, I've known pastors where, you know, they stop being a pastor for whatever reason, and it's like a an existential crisis for them. Who, who am I? Because it's such an overarching vocation sometimes mm-hmm. that it melts into everything you do. But when you talk about what satisfies your pride is is a, in a way of, you know, filling up your own self-worth. You know, you know, we like to make gods after our own image. And something's just always feeding your pride. That is the opposite of feeling, feeding your repentance. It feeds a false sense of what you what your worth is and who you are. And it pulls you away from understanding my identity of who I am is in Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm defined by his blood. I'm defined by his baptism. I'm defined by what he feeds me. And so as you're looking at it, certain things feel good in your life because it just feeds your pride. And uh, one of the big issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees in his day was pride. Mm-hmm. You know, they they certainly understood more than we give them credit for the kinds of things that Jesus was saying. They knew the Old Testament pretty well. They knew it better than you did, Vicar. Mm-hmm. You, Vicar, for sure. Um, they didn't have to order four books on Nahum, right, to understand Nahum. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> for my next Bible study. Um, and yet, what really got in their way? Pride. Pride. What allowed them to reject the true God? Pride. And that identity they built over time, having an earthly kingdom in a way with their temple system, uh, and, uh, and the wealth that comes with it, and the title and importance, Jesus was taking that all away or reminding them mm-hmm. that it's going to go away, that there's a, a better kingdom, a real kingdom. So it was bad for business for them. All right. On to the next one. <laughs> Number five. Now, this is something interesting because this takes it outside of you. Okay, and you can you can have many different variations of this. All right. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want for your children? Because because um, parents can tend sometimes to want to live vicariously through their children. Right? So I could answer that in pre-pandemic terms, but for me, with the pandemic too, I thought all of a sudden about how will my children have the freedom to worship God mm-hmm. and and to gather as the body of Christ. So all of a sudden, for me at least, that began to to, to come into focus that as the most important thing for them. Right. But but since because, and then this could be like for your, all any of your loved ones, really, mm-hmm. right? But But then you see, okay, you know, we want our children to be happy, you know, we want our children to all sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think just talking merely from a day-to-day life, we have the children in your house, how what you're doing with them and how you're teaching them and how you're teaching them priorities, you know, what is it that you want for your children? Because we are, the, the one thing humbling about being a parent is that you see in them your failings, <laughs> And you spend a lot of time t- preaching and teaching your children, don't be what I am. <laughs> I didn't break any secrets with that, Peter. <laughs> Vicar, don't do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I think that that, but that is a question that you can ask. Um, and you, it, like I said, it doesn't have to be your children. But it could be other priorities. How in your day-to-day dealing with your children and your loved ones are you showing what your priorities for them and thus what your priorities in life generally are? Where is your God in that? Which today we, we see that in, in other kids and in the young people in general, we see what the parenting has done or pa- lack of parenting or ungodly right. parenting I mean, that I mean, creates. I mean, w- the one obvious way this is, is seen is in the whole, in a small town what happens when, how do people think of athletics in grade school and middle school and high school? I mean, you know, it takes them away sometimes very many weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can miss, you better not miss a practice, but confirmation class, you know. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things that, from that aspect of it, that's just only one example um, I don't want to harp on that just on that one because that's the obvious, an obvious one, but it can be with all whole hosts of things. Sure, we have that with work too. Some people may not have a secure job unless they're willing to work Sundays or occasional Sundays. It brings us to the next one. Number six. How do you see your work? The reason why I ask this question is, <clears throat> is your work a job where you see yourself as a servant of God or do you see your work as serving yourself? You know, part of the doctrine of vocation is realizing that in your vocation and your calling, you're actually serving God because Mm -hmm. that's how God puts food on your table. That's God, how God cares for others. That's how God makes an orderly society where he takes care of all of our needs. So with that in mind, then you learn to see that your work is a servant service to God. Now that may ask you to reevaluate your work. Mm-hmm. For example, if your work is something where you are actually maybe harming others 
or taking advantage of others or hurting someone income or taking advantage of things. I could say signing up for high credit rates that you know that whatever. Sure. There are all sorts of things where you could actually evaluate, okay, am I hurting or harming my neighbor or am I serving them? And if, you know, that if you see your work as a service to, of God and to God, that might actually change how you do the work. But but uh, how you see your work, who you're serving, can also tell you who are you serving in that work, in your job, in your, your uh, how you get your income. Because that certainly can become a God of itself as well. Mm-hmm. You can look at it as punching the clock, just doing your nine to five and get a paycheck or serving God by serving others. I can give an example of that. Um, I have a family member that's a nurse and she used to explain her work bedside as helping people pack for heaven. So she brought her faith into it and was a positive and uplifting example to others and a very caring and loving nurse. And, uh, the healthcare system today, you don't always have people wanting to practice medicine in a loving way anymore because they're, they have a quota to fill. The company needs to be profitable and that gets placed as the priority instead of the patient. And that brings us to my last one. Number one. (laughs) And number one. Simply, who do you worship? Because that's a part of it, obviously, because you wind up worshiping the ones that you actually trust in. Hmm. Like St. Fauci. <laughs> yeah. The government. Yeah. It could be your sports team. Brandon. Brandon. Um, all those things. That, that also, where you see you paying your homage, speaking of in glowing terms, talking about this is who I am, this is my life, all those things. You know, you don't always think about who is it that I worship. Could be yourself. I don't know. We're all different. The Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, these are just some questions. And and by the way, we use God's law as a mirror, so that you can identify them, and know that you are forgiven, but also as a guide, right? Mm-hmm. And and to serve as warning, Jesus did this kind of warning all the time. But it's good because these things try to make themselves a God in your heart and to rob you of the faith, that powerful faith we talked about earlier. Then uh, it's good to think of these questions with an honest heart. So that's what I got today. Sounds good. Were you wishing that we just gave him Jesus, Vicar? To him be the glory. <laughs> so, what else do we have? I think we have a question from Hannah. Uh, I know she likes her questions answered with a full contem- a complement of clerics, but we do not have the full contem- I can't talk today. Complement of clerics. But we will answer your question today. So, Peter, what do we got? Peter, first we should play the intro. Confound the clerics. All right, so uh, yeah, we got an email from Hannah, the uh, associate producer for the podcast, and uh, she says, Dear Clerics, over the years, I have noticed pastors here and there throwing shade on psychologists, psychiatrists, therapy, pills, and the like. What is the deal? I'm sensitive to these perceived slights, both because my mother is a psychologist and because I benefited greatly, though of course imperfectly, from therapy to help work through a few traumatic events. Yes, Jesus is the answer to all sin, but people who suffer from clinical depression, PTSD, or childhood abuse could use some additional nuanced support, right? Side note, glad you enjoyed the gin. After purchasing, I was seized with fear that in some past episode it was revealed that none of you like gin. For a really good time, try adding gin to your red wine and top with a splash of citrus juice. It's called a Christmas recovery. Your faithful associate producer, Hannah. All right. So, um, on uh, the, your uh, your uh, Christmas recovery, um, 
Seems like if you have too many of those, you will need to go into recovery. <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, and uh, to go, but to get to her original question, um, I'll start with you, Vicar. Okay. Um, because the simple fact is, because you are currently a seminary student, you're on the cutting edge of what's being taught at our fine institution of Concordia Theological in Fort Wayne. Indiana, how do you see this play out at the seminary? Do you hear these kind of discussions from the seminary? Yes. In uh, pastoral counseling, we were advised to remember you're not a medical doctor, right? You may counsel, but there are experts out there. Mm -hmm. And for some things, if you're counseling somebody and you realize there might be more, say, mental illness related, um, find some Christian counselors that you might be able to refer them to. So there was an importance on when you get to a new area, maybe check at, at a, your Winkle or um, from your district president if there's any Christian counselors that are frequently um, recommended. I, I would say this. To answer this question, I would say part of the issue is, what do you call it? Uh, you would know this, um, where you have like the two circles and then they kind of overlap no, it's a diagram of some sort, like right. a d- decision matrix type thing. So a lot of times you have, you, what happens is um, we need people like um, uh, your mother because we have, they're really in some ways two sides or two ways of answering some of the same questions. So for example, when people are going through psychological stress, okay? On the one hand, there is improper thinking that needs to be addressed, perhaps a chemical imbalance, right? But also it presents itself in many ways as spiritual distress as well. And I think part of the issue is is one of the skepticism on pastor's part where um, perhaps there are things where repentance is in order. And, and, and sometimes a psychologist might say, well, you know, just need to accept yourself or kind of pull them away um, from the idea of repentance. That might be one issue that maybe pastors have. I'm not saying that's always valid, but, but, but bear in mind, when, when pastors think about these things behind the collar, there is some level of distrust in this way, you're placing a lot of trust in those doctors who who don't necessarily have trust in Christ. And, and so when you're talking about mind, and you're talking about how people think, and how you people feel, and how they understand sin, those are, in some ways, two different ways of looking at the same thing. And we really do need people who are actually experts in both to help us manage that a little bit better. Because I agree with you, Hannah, we do have a lot of ways of helping people in their mental illness or mental stress or ways that have created improper thinking and ways that each side can help each other. But but they do intersect quite a bit, and and um, um, for example, when someone is depressed, um, it affects how they see God. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and we we as pastors we say, okay, you know, you might feel this way about God, but that is improper thinking because let's look at what God's word says rather than how you feel about it. Let's look at what the Bible says, and. And, uh, and so I think what we, for me, speaking of myself, I would guard against, on the one hand, being the only answer. The therapy and the pills and all those things, that's going to be my answer. That's going to solve my problems. In a sense, we just talked about, you know, deciding what is your God. I'm going to put all my marbles in that. Uh, but there is, can be some friction, uh, another example that I think this could be, um, as a pastor, um, 
someone if someone were to come to me with gender identity issues, okay, and I'm not comfortable what they might hear from the one side anymore, where they've been handcuffed to be able to say that that is a disorder that could be treated or talked about. Um, as a as a pastor, I have my own answers about what God's word says, and so. As much as I want to, I know the medical field and, and the ways of therapies can really help. On the other hand, there are times where they could be putting us at odds. And so those are some things that, that would cause a pastor to be, to be somewhat skeptical. And I would say, rather than skeptical, Hannah, I would say a good way to, to read it, to look into it is, is um, they're trying to look out for them. They don't want the faith in them uh, to be pulled away from Christ. And, you know, there are times where I know that's out of my hands. You know, you need some professional help. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of the issues that you, you bring up of what people need, there should be a pastoral side of that in helping them also along the way. You're dealing with traumatic events and forgiveness, and how do mm-hmm. I manage that minefield? Um, I think it needs the work of both sides, and um, it's re- when you're talking about the two different worlds, they don't communicate well with each other, they don't trust each other, and um, and we need experts. I think we really do need experts to help us walk that fine line who know both worlds very well and to, to help us walk that. And so one, one example that we have here in Iowa is um, Lutheran Family Services that uh, seek to provide Christian counselors. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The problem is we have trouble finding those counselors. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, um, in Iowa to, to be certified as in that realm and to be able to, to uh, get insurance money which by which they're paid, um, you have to have so many hours, thousands and thousands of hours of clinical experience before you are certified or licensed, and that makes it very difficult. Um, and we're actually working on that in a few interesting ways. But, but I understand that we need both, and, and a lot of those counseling situations and therapies that you mentioned are very good, but everything needs to be in context. And there we need to help pastors understand those therapies better and when to refer, but also when they should be mindful of what kind of dangers are out there that could be um, voices in, in, in people's ears or therapies that may not be super helpful for them and for their faith. So that's why I would say sometimes you hear pastors throw shade on those things is because of that aspect. Uh, a lot of the, when you're dealing with a lot of science, they start with the idea of, okay, how do we answer these questions without God? Yeah. And, and we do the opposite. And so, I, and I know what you're talking about, Hannah. I know that there is... There is a lot of thre- shade being throwing and distrust. Some of it it might be warranted, but other other times it's not. And um, I, I just think we need to to have those sides of the issues to be understood a little bit better. What do you think, Vicar? Well, I think you said it well. There's this concept of treating the symptoms. Uh, which maybe medication can do as well. Um, but the underlying problem, when we live in two kingdoms, you know, kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, we're members of both. Mm-hmm. And we need to come from both sides to attack issues or to yeah. treat issues. Yeah, I don't know if you notice this, Vicar, um, but um, pretty much every Sunday in the prayers, I add something about those who struggle with mental illness mm-hmm. in any form. Because there is a distress involved, um, you know, and also, you know, uh, as as I kind of talk out this answer, we also are mindful of the demonic, you know. Yeah. 
you know, Jesus drove out demons that caused them to do some very strange things. Mm-hmm. Now, if we were if we were to talk to a you know a healthcare professional about, I think this might have some demonic sources. Well, I mean, <laughs> and you don't want any of your your sheep per se to be put in a vacuum apart from God and the Word of God, because that puts them in danger too of of however the devil is working in this world. Okay, and the last point I want to make about this is is we also remember too that we both sides look at suffering a little bit differently. Now, on the one hand, and take take the the, the whole psychology aspect out of it for a minute. If you if you look at end of life issues, um, there's one hand. There's let's avoid all suffering at all costs. But then we realize that to a certain degree, which has led to end of life issues, you know, euthanasia or overly aggressive living wills. And that, and uh, where, you know, I'm going to look at end of life, we call it dying with dignity, right? That's not how the cross always works. Hmm. You know, sometimes the Bible teaches that there is value in the suffering we go through. Now, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm talking on the medical um, and the distress that we go through. We just talked about two people in, our, in the gospel reading who went through a great amount of distress and suffering, and it is faith that brought them to Christ and nourished them. And so that's another side of it that we could get way into, but um, that's very, hopefully we answered some of those questions for sure. Yeah, maybe next week we and, can get deeper into it if you want to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, that is our episode. Thank you for the, joining us today. I'm Bullhagen. Vicar, where can they get a hold I'm of Vicar. us? Vicar, where can they get a hold of us? They could email us at face, feedback at clericalerrors.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. They can find us on Twitter at clericalerrorsp. P for podcast. And if they'd like to donate, they could find a link on our website uh, to Patreon. Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. May your lists be numbered. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.